Hello, everyone. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your co-host, P-Funk, at P-Funkin' Around on Twitter. And I'm joined by your host, Cookie Negra. Doctor? Sir? Well, how's your week been? It's been a week. It has been a week. It's been seven days. <laughs> it's been a week. Mm-hmm. I, I worked like a field slave oh. in Georgia this week, but... Oh, in Georgia. Yeah, just oh, not like a field slave like anywhere, oh, okay, a like a field slave in Georgia. You didn't actually go to Georgia. No, I'm actually <laughs> not a field slave either. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. That's prepositions, you know. <laughs> I thought you meant like, oh, I'm in Georgia and I act like a field slave. I was like, oh wow, okay. No, actually, my Georgia family is in Maryland. I wonder if they'll just stop by. Okay. What are they visiting for? Just a tourist? My cousin lives on the eastern shore, I guess. Well, I'm not sure if she's on the eastern shore or if she's in St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. Wait, that might be the eastern shore. Anyway, she's south of here. Okay. But she's in Maryland. And I know that my aunt and uncle, who I did see in Georgia in the summer, Mm -hmm. um, were coming up to see her. And uh, so it's not that far. So I may hear from them. You never know. Okay, you're not just going to pop in yourself? I don't know where she lives. Oh. (laughs) I mean, I just know it's in the Eastern Shore somewhere. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, She might be in St. Mary's County. She might be in, I forget what the county is south of Prince George's, but she might be in that one too. I don't actually know where she lives. Ah, okay. Just general vicinity. Yeah, because that's the way my Georgia family tells me stuff. She live up there near you. Okay. Mm, mm, Okay. In the in the same state, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty. Even my father's. Like, yeah, she up there by you. Um, not really, daddy. <laughs> yeah, I got family in Miami. They refer to like the people who live in uh, New York. They're like, oh yeah, they're up there by you. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's not. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's that's not... just all our families. Exactly, that... y'all north of us, so everyone's up there at the same place. Got it. Well, at least it is the same state. I mean, <laughs> could be worse. Yeah, they they somewhat got it correct. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, I'm just getting over a cold, which like came and went within like two days. Still annoying though. That's still a pretty fast cold. That's good. Yeah, I guess it's good, but it's just like, ugh, is, we don't even haven't started fall yet. Like it's barely fall, and I've already gotten sick. Have you gotten your flu shot? Not yet. It wasn't the flu though. It was just a cold because it, it came and went really fast. That's not even what I asked though. <laughs> No, I said not yet. I, I plan okay. to. Just haven't gotten it yet. Uh huh. Okay. What? How is how is my co-host still holding out? I'm not holding out. I just uh, I just have my time co-host, to go. not just anybody who's just got a podcast. Time to go. My my co-host still <sighs> I, don't have a flu shot. I just I just haven't gone yet. All right, that's like, that's all I'm saying. It just you're making me look bad. That's all I'm saying. You're just embarrassing me. Fine, go. Are they open on? I guess they're open on Saturday. I got mine on a Sunday. They're open. Okay. All right. Fine. Uh, fine. I'll get a flu shot. Are you happy I can't now? Convince you. I might as well just lay down my whole microphone. You know? No. No. I'm convinced. I just haven't done it yet. I was just like, I thought I had time. It's not even the fall yet. Jesus. So, yeah, thinking about it and getting it are two totally different things. Yes. Okay. True. True. Just saying, I, you know. I will get it later today. 
if nobody else gets one, you need to get one. I'm going to get one. It's not a big deal. I will do that. I had already, I already decided to get one. I just hadn't made my way to actually go do it. Uh-huh. I'm always worried. I'm like, do I have to stand in line? Do I have to wait for the pharmacist to get around to it? Ugh. But yeah, I'll just go get one. Would you want to have Amazon send you one? Is is that what you're waiting for? Well, can they do that? Hell no. Oh. I'm just saying. I mean, that would that would be super convenient if when I came home it was just waiting for me and I just like, I don't know, slap it on my arm like a like a patch or or take it like a pill or whatever. I can't do this. That, that would be awesome. Come on, that would be amazing. You know that would be super convenient if people would be awesome. People would be, like, lining up to do that. Like, oh, I can have the flu shot delivered to me? Amazing. I'll do it. But, yes, I'll make the trip to CVS in the meantime. Thank you. Until we get flu patches. Yeah, drone delivery? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, you read my mind. If I can have my uh, flu patches delivered by drone right now, oh, that'd be amazing. You live too close to Washington. There's no drones allowed. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> God damn it. And I'm, I'm sorry, but this, this presidency in particular, I don't really care. I'm like, fuck your airspace. Just just send me my shit. You're not using it no way. Except for trash. The trash-ass person. Trash-ass president. Anyway. This tangerine is not a, tear. Ugh, it's just, it's not even tear anymore. It's just, it's like tangerine malaise. It's just, everything is just just melancholy and, and tragic and everything bullshit. is awful everything is awful even the markets now are just like you know what uh, we were trying to hold it together and pretend that shit was cool but eh, not cool this is <laughs> trash everything is just trash that's the best word for everything right now <sighs> and on that, on that move on <laughs> yes on, on that uplifting mo- um, note we're just gonna move into science because it's not a politics show it's a science show and let's see one of the okay so this you sent me this one this is interesting um there is a rare polio-like illness that's been diagnosed in six minnesota children okay so two things Mm -hmm. i've been talking about this virus for years i think maybe the first time we discussed it i might have been on twib so shout out to the chat room hi Mm -hmm. elon um we once in a while they would they would have me call in and we would talk a little bit about you know what was coming and this enterovirus d68 mm-hmm. i we might have even talked about it last year on this show i think we you mentioned it like in passing like oh like other things that are coming down the pike yeah so this is you know it's a respiratory virus it's it's of the same family as polio and it has been causing this um paralysis for a couple of years now but it's been okay so the thing is the reason why it hasn't really hit the news is because there's so many so few cases i think they said it was 120 last year total that's kind of a lot of cases of polio if you ask me true but like so so a couple things let me uh, let me just read through the the intro so it said uh, last friday the minnesota department of health announced that six minnesota children all under the age of 10 had been diagnosed since mid-september with a rare polio-like nervous condition called acute flaccid myelitis the condition typically causes sudden muscle weakness and paralysis in the arms or legs but other symptoms include neck stiffness facial or eyelid droop difficulty swallowing and slurred speech experts believe the condition is triggered by a viral infection although environmental and genetic factors may also be involved condition is quite rare 
affecting fewer than one in a million people a year, but it has been on the rise since 2014 with an expected surge in cases, 120. Uh, oh, when an unexpected ca- surge in cases, 120, was reported mostly in Colorado and California. Health officials believe those cases were caused by a respiratory virus called known as enterovirus D68. Yep, and now there's a new one, enterovirus A71. Yeah, has been found in many of the AFM cases. Uh, viruses have not yet been identified in the Minnesota cases. So it's so new, or, or the news is so new, they haven't even identified what virus are in the six kids that were just diagnosed. So this is a very much a developing story. Uh, no one's really quite sure what's happening. Um, but the thing that I took I take from this, and you can let me know if I'm not reading it right, the thing I take away from this is that it doesn't seem very infectious. It seems like uh, they're getting it from somewhere. They don't know where. Um, it's having polio-like symptoms, and it seems to be on the rise, but they can't tell like how it's spreading, or it doesn't seem to be spreading as rapidly as you know one would expect a virus to spread. Um, I would say that this looks exactly like most cases of emerging infectious disease. You don't know it until it shows up. I mean, in the in the first cases that we're seeing from enterovirus D68 were in 2014. That's not a long time to come up with a lot of information. Mm-hmm. They're lucky they know it's an enterovirus. They, they're lucky that they can serotype it, which is the D68 part. Um, but no, it, it typically will take quite a long time to understand the mechanism of disease. Okay, but wouldn't, um, if it was something that was spread, say, by contact or the air or um, like bodily fluids, wouldn't that be a much higher trajectory or a faster trajectory for spreading? And wouldn't we see more cases after three or four years? Not necessarily, because we don't, we really don't even know how, how it spreads or how robust it is. So, for example, something like a cold virus, mm-hmm. very robust. You sneeze, it winds up on, you know, the railing of, of the, the metro, uh-huh. you touch it, you, you know, you get it. But that's a, that's a very robust virus. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something that doesn't survive drying out. It's, you know, it's not the kind of thing that is easily spread because it's, it's a fragile thing. Mm. Um, but we don't know. I mean, as I said, 2014 to 2018, that's not a lot of time. Okay. It's not a lot of time for you to know things. I mean, we we know things that have been studied. They've been studying stuff like, say, cholera for near 100 years. We know a lot about cholera. And then all of a sudden, everything we thought we knew about it got turned on its head because we got some new technology. Mm. So what I'm saying is in the, the lifetime of identifying things about a pathogen, this is quite short. Okay. We're in our kindergarten stages. Hmm. So also in the article, it says earlier this week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released its latest 2018 figures, which showed 38 confirmed cases of AFM across 16 states through August 31st. Those numbers don't include, however, the six Minnesota cases or ones reported elsewhere after that date. So if we were in a situation where we had the best minds at CDC and the the most motivated, you know, policymakers, what should they be doing at this stage? 
I think they should be doing exactly what they are doing. I, my argument would would be they do have the best minds at CDC working on this. Okay. I think you know the the other issue, obviously, is um, priority. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you have something that there's 120 cases, as opposed to something like influenza, where there are millions of cases. Yeah. Where where are you going to go with your dollars? Yeah, it makes sense. You got to go with the flu. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, the thing is, um, paralyzed children on TV. Yeah, that's scary. It's probably going to make a difference. Okay. And I don't know about you, but this is starting to pop up on local news. I've seen, not that I've seen the the local news reports of it, because I don't get home before the local news goes off. But in the morning when I'm getting dressed, I see the ads for this is what we're going to do. And I've seen this twice, I think. So on two different D.C. area stations. So it's starting to get a little traction. So um, attached to the article, they had a few quick uh, a quick Q&A with, um, uh, let's see, his name was... Michael Osterholm. Michael Osterholm. And who's he? Um, Michael Osterholm runs basically... It, an infectious disease program at the University of Minnesota, or uh, I, I can't remember. It's either it the University Center, of Minnesota or it's, uh, it's yes, um, the University of Minnesota. What's the, clinic? what's the clinic there? It says Center for Infect- yeah, and Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, CIDRAP. Yeah. At University of Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually know him. And obviously, he's a microbiologist, and we've worked with him before. Okay. So they asked them, uh, you know, the top of mind question, you know, is there any treatment? And he said the treatment is supported care. Uh, one of the things we learned from polio is that if you quickly identify the cases and where possible begin to uh, do aggressive physical therapy, you may actually generate new motor neurons that actually will overcome the impact of the virus on other ones. Um, so very aggressive physical therapy is very important. And uh, as far as the prognosis, they said many of the kids have recovered, almost fully recovered, if not mm-hmm. completely. But unfortunately, not all kids have. So, right. yeah, I can already see, you know, if this were to hit a um, region or a neighborhood that's underserved, you know, something like a Flint, Michigan, where, you know, maybe they don't have access to physical therapy um, or facilities that are close by where that can be done, that you could have a huge impact. So, God forbid. Yeah. Huge, long lasting one. Yeah, so that's kind of frightening, but... Yeah, but, you know, this has been coming along. um, And it's clearly seasonal, very much like polio. It's like we won the battle against polio, and then we have a similar virus who causes a similar disease and gives us the finger, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, it seems like it's similar enough to polio that people kind of have a, a roadmap for how to treat it. Sure. So that's good. Yeah, that, that is good. Hmm. All right. And kind of closely following on that note, um, seems that, uh, according to the CDC, uh, the rate of unvaccinated toddlers is increasing. Mm-hmm. Not decreasing. Increasing. Mm-hmm. While most two-year-olds have received at least some vaccines, the rate of unvaccinated young children has been rising according to a new report from federal health officials. While we know parental choice clearly plays a role, hmm, we also see in this report that access does seem to be an issue. Hmm. 
says Amanda Cohn, MD, Senior Advisor for Vaccines for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uninsured kids were highly represented in that group of kids who didn't get vaccinated. Well, well, well. Are you serious? Like, really? Yeah. What a surprise. Yeah. So you're telling me if you don't have insurance for your kid, you may not be able to afford the proper vaccination panel. Interesting. Uh-huh. That that came out of nowhere. You could knock me over with a feather. Yeah. Wow. So part of it is what we've been talking about uh, on this show, and I, you know, people have talked about in other places, um, parents, especially in more affluent areas, being hesitant to give vaccinations to their children, you know, uh, conspiracy theories about what's in it and worries that it's all unnecessary and, you know, using holistic methods to kind of um, replace, you know, traditional vaccines. So that's kind of on the move. And I think that's still uh, very much an issue. And then in addition, now you have underserved communities and uh, people from less affluent areas not being able to vaccine, vaccinate their kids, not by because they don't want to, but because I don't have the insurance, I don't have the access, and I have bigger fish to fry. I have to keep a roof over my head. But let's make sure we get rid of Obamacare because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> because choice plan choice i don't even know what their justification is at this point i i i can't follow i never understood it it's just they don't want it that that and then there's also the safety net which they're shredding so you know if you Mm -hmm. can't Mm -hmm. if you can't have medicaid well then you really aren't going to get your kids vaccinated so Mm -hmm. yep says just uh, be poor and sick that that's what we need in this country yeah and i just put some numbers on it uh roughly 1.3 percent had not received any vaccinations by 24 months any vaccinations according to the report that's up from 0.3 percent in 2001 coverage rates were lowest for children who were uninsured and those in rural areas among unvaccinated children about 17.2 percent were uninsured compared to 2.8 percent of all children according to the report yeah, I, w- yeah, I would this love is a to- perfect trifecta. You're poor. You're far away from access. I mean, because rural areas, that's that's sort of the problem. Mm-hmm. There's no doctor nearby or no hospital nearby or no clinic nearby. So, yeah, let's let's just hit all those people while we're at it. I would love to see numbers like right when Obamacare was at its apex, when it was fully in swing and people were buying into it, what the vaccination uh, numbers look like. You know what? I'm pretty sure those numbers exist, um, and CDC is probably working on something right now on that. Yeah, I I would. I think that would be really interesting to see. It's like, oh, for for this three year period when we had Obamacare in full swing and people were, for the most part, insured, uh, the vaccination rates were this versus today. I'd love to see that. Yeah, actually, on the side in the sidebar on this page, which I guess will be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. it shows you vaccination rates at a certain period of time, 2012, 2013. Probably there's going to be another one that's sort of like 2015. That's about the the time period you're talking about. Yeah. So I can't wait to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Uh, that's exactly what you're looking for. It, it'll be out that, if, that's... if, that's a very big if. If the CDC is allowed to publish them. Yes, as, as we've talked about, there's been a lot of limits on what federal agencies are allowed to put out based on strictly political considerations. So Absolutely. 
Although uh. I've now met with the head of the CDC on at least one occasion. Mm-hmm. Seems like a tough guy. Like he would go for it. So we'll see how long he lasts in the administration. Mm-hmm. I I was actually fairly impressed with him. Okay. And so it's not all um, bad news. So it seems like um, this is mostly the the decrease in vaccination is mostly those under 24 months. So a second CDC report found high overall vaccination rates among kindergartners, but also room for improvement. And we know why that is. Because they're in public school? Exactly. You can't get to school unless you have your shots. Yeah. So it, it seems like what may be happening is that parents are just waiting longer because they don't have to go to school right now. I'm, I have a stay-at-home mom or I have to get a babysitter anyway. They don't have vaccination requirements, so I'll just wait until I actually have to do it. Well, I think that's it. I mean, you pay, you pay when you have to pay. Right. So there's nothing to to suggest that people are getting any richer over the next three years between the two-year-old study and the five-year-olds who are going to kindergarten, except for if you don't get the shot, your kid doesn't go to school. And that was, I think, the underlying um, premise for Obamacare is just like people don't pay unless they have to Mm -hmm. or they feel they have to. So we're just going to make it so that everyone has to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whatever. That was not cool for some people. For whatever reason. Yeah, when your kid starts getting infections from the other little unvaccinated kids, though. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, those people probably have the means to take care of them anyway. So they have access to health care and they have access to a a family doctor. and Some do and some don't. I mean, what I'm thinking about is if usually if you're in the the bracket where you can decide I'm not going to do it and you know you see these people walking around their big house they sometimes have a lot of household staff so you go mm-hmm. home and infect your kid with whatever this rich little kid has that doesn't mean you have access right you know nannies and maids and stuff they infect they have children too mm, that's true mm, I didn't really think about that I remember at some point my grandmother, I guess, was a maid and she used to take my mother's youngest brother with her when she went to take care of the kids and take care of the house and everything. And, you know, they play with the the other kids, too. Then they come home sick, you know. Uh, Yeah, kids are just Petri dishes, no matter how much money they make. Yeah, they, they pretty much are because, you know, they have developing immune systems. There's a reason for that. Which is why you should try to be nice and healthy before you have some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. They're sticky little Petri dishes and you're just going to get sick all the time. And yeah. you have to be prepared for that. And you can't take a sick day from being a parent. So Never. <laughs> Would be nice, though. I imagine if you live in some European uh, countries, you can do that. Well, no, you just, this is what grandma is for. <laughs> Well, that and you probably have state-sponsored health care. just like, oh, I'm sick. Send over one of the state-sponsored babysitters. I'm like, okay. Yeah, t- remind me, why do we live here again? Oh, yeah, we I, were born here. We yeah, were born. That's, mostly, that's mostly the reason at this point. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, if 2018 doesn't go that well or we don't see substantial change after Congress switches over or if it switches over, if he gets elected again, I'm seriously considering, like, just just going somewhere else. Or at least, you know, maybe working for, you know, some field office somewhere else, you know. 
seriously on the table. But yeah. So moving on to our main topic, um, we t- mentioned last week this um, this controversy of involving this woman named Elizabeth Holmes and her company Theranos. 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 Yeah. Theranos. Okay. As opposed to Theranos. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So she had a she started a company in two thousand three that under the premise that she could make um she could do blood tests with far less blood than what was currently being used in hospitals and in doctors offices and do it for a fraction of the cost using uh chip technology nano chip technology mm-hmm. and it turned out that that was not the case it was mostly hogwash and she lost lots of people billions of dollars is that about right it was almost entirely hogwash <laughs> okay but i mean okay so give give me your your over overall of that story and then i'll i'll ask you my main question i think i asked last week too that i just didn't quite get okay so for anyone who's really interested in reading the entire story of theranos there is a book called bad blood secrets and lies in a silicon valley startup so bad blood John Cariou, and Cariou kind of sounds exactly like, spelled exactly the same way, C-A-R-R-E-Y-R-O-U, Cariou. Anyhow, this is a Wall Street Journal reporter, and he kind of broke the story. Um, so if, if you want to know all of it, and I, I suggest buying the book and reading it, it's really good. Hmm. Um, and it sort of tells you how badly things can go with no check. Um, so the story is, this is a, a young woman who sort of dropped out of Stanford and modeled herself after, um, what was the guy from Apple? Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen her photographed where she didn't have a black turtleneck on and black pants. She just, she looked exactly like him. So she, she knew, she knows the value of symbols and she gives a great pitch and she managed to get all kinds of people to buy into this. But she, her, her stick was, and if you read the book, you'll find out the reason why she's so adamant about it's hardly any blood is she's deathly afla- afraid of needles. So she wanted a finger stick company so she wouldn't have to give blood by needle. So this is where it started. And just a little extra context. Um, she founded this company in 2003, and she was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Here's okay. the reason why this works. She's from a very wealthy family. Uh-huh. She uh-huh. has a lot of very wealthy neighbors and friends and people who would invest. Yes, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has all the privilege. And if she decided to make new purses or... Another one of those, I'll send you the the groceries and here's a recipe and you learn how to cook, whatever. I don't even understand that whole concept, but I know people do it these days. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't have anything to say about it. But what she tried to do was make money on the back of clinical laboratory science without having any clinical laboratory scientists around. 
And okay, so this is the question that I have that I can't seem to wrap my head around. She was 19 years old. She was not a biologist. Right. From what I understand. Right. Yet she convinced venture capitalists and private investors to give her $700 million. Yes. Now, I understand that, yes, she was wealthy. She had a lot of wealthy friends. She came from a wealthy family, blah, 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 blah. Venture capitalists, greedy Dude, greedy saps they might be. I would think at least a few of them would have a buddy or a consultant who actually worked in a hospital or was familiar with microbiology to say, hey, take a look at this uh, overview. Uh, does this sound like something I should put some money towards? You know, I could pay you a consulting fee. Just, just take a look at it and tell me what you think. Did that... How could that not happen? How could seven hundred well, million dollars change hands? I don't know any venture capitalists. Uh, they tend not to pay any attention to black women, as we've read quite often. Mm -hmm. So I don't know anybody like that. But mm -hmm. my guess would be, if you put together a good enough presentation and somebody vouches for you, like, oh yeah, she went to school with my so and so and so and so. She's she's really brilliant. I think that could be enough because who knows about laboratories except other people from laboratories. Right. So I don't imagine that a venture capitalist would understand what's supposed to happen in a laboratory. Oh, yes, of course. That's not what I'm I, I would understand that they don't know. But I would think that their self-preservation instinct would have them ask a few questions before they change seven. They move seven hundred million dollars. Well, none of them gave $700 million. <laughs> right. This is from you know a, a network of investors. But still, yeah. the total amount that she managed to secure was $700 million. Yeah, but like she did that in 15 years. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the first day. So, and, and I think, you know, if, if you weren't paying attention to this, nobody was paying attention to right. it, mm -hmm. except for venture capitalists and laboratory people. Okay? So. And the two never met. No, they couldn't have. Mm. But but the thing about it was she was on TV and in the newspaper all the time. So when I started paying attention to this, would have been 2011, 2012, okay. so around eight, that time. Eight years after she, the, uh, the company started. Sure. Mm. But, you know, I think maybe she, you know, she was probably doing this stuff prior to that. I would say mm -hmm. she probably came into her own around 2007, maybe 2008. Okay. okay. So before I was paying any attention to it, um, but she was able to convince not just venture capitalists, which is important, but people we know to have a long reach, both in the government and in in business and in finance. So she had not one but two former secretaries of state on her board at some point. I so. Yeah. She knew how to she knew how to leverage her connections, her family's connections, her wider social circle to get these people on board. So I don't know if I walk into a into a company that has George Schultz and Henry Kissinger on it and I start making noise about how this chick doesn't know what she's talking about. There are people who take a job because they need a job. <laughs> And they shut up and they go along with the program. 
So it kind of cuts through the the whole underlying premise of of capitalism because the whole underlying premise is that greed and self-preservation is you know survival of the fittest is going to push funds towards you know those things or those pursuits that yield the most profit and you know have the most validity and she, yeah, but we this all just knew went that, all around that it. wasn't really true <laughs> at least i did yeah but never to this extent like you always had some companies where uh they weren't run well um they you know, manipulated their numbers to see more successful than they were, and they wasted a lot of money. We've seen that, you know, come and go. That happens, you know, frequently, but never to this extent where there was literally the, the emperor had no clothes. Well, but you know what? I think maybe you're just not old enough to remember it, but I remember the dot-com bust. It was exactly the same thing. Mm, but well, it was just computer stuff. It was just online stuff. It was just internet stuff nobody's health was at stake. True. That's why this is so scary. But I think people also, even during the dot-com bus, were very vocal, even in the midst of it, like, guys, they're not really selling anything. Guys, they don't really have any management experience. There's no product here. I do remember, like, those counterpoints even during all the hype. Okay, so my guess would be that Perhaps they didn't have the Barracuda lawyers that mm. Theranos had. Oh, so what, the lawyers were keeping people hush-hush? Yes, they were scaring people. As a matter of fact, um, so let's let's just go through the, the story. So she comes up with this idea how we're going to be able to do all these tests from a single drop of blood on a small, tiny platform. And what I mean by a a small platform is if you can think about the size of maybe your microwave, the platform was probably a little smaller than your average, you know, home microwave, not the kind you would see like, you know, in industry, but the kind you have in your house. Okay. So a little smaller than that cubic, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Maybe the size of a nice big uh, crock pot. Okay. Okay, so this is the size, maybe a toaster oven, you know. But that's that's pretty much the size of, of this machine that she was going to make. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest the biggest I can I can say is it's probably the size of a small bread machine. Okay. Okay, so not you could you could sit this on your counter. Mm-hmm. So this is the whole point. It's small. It doesn't take much blood. You get accurate results. We can do all of the tests on this tiny little machine. And there could, you know, at some point, I think she wanted it to be in everybody's house. You know, you could, you, what she started out wanting was like a chip that you could put on your arm, like the size of maybe um, a nicotine patch. Yeah. And that's going to be able to monitor stuff. And funny enough, these days there are some monitors that are that small. Mm-hmm. They're like heart monitors and they're sugar monitors and stuff like that. Um, so she was going for that sort of thing. That was her dream. Okay. Which is not a bad thing. Um, but the problem was she has absolutely no background in engineering. She has no background in clinical laboratory science. Um, she just had a dream and she was able to sell it. So her, her idea was, you know, we don't need that much blood and this little, this little machine is going to give you everything that you need. 
and it's going to be so cheap. It's going to be 10 times cheaper than the clinical laboratory can run tests and give all your money to me. Okay. And again, that sounds good, particularly if you are not an engineer or clinical laboratory scientist. The first time I saw her give one of her spiels, I said, yeah, that can't work. And I knew it immediately. And I'm saying even if you weren't, let's say you weren't a laboratory scientist, but you know, you had some background or familiarity with it. Wouldn't the first thing you ask is like, well, where's the prototype? Can we take a look? That's, they right? did try that. Okay. And it didn't work ever. But they, they somehow managed to explain away why it never worked. Really? We're uploading the data and the Wi-Fi doesn't work. Or, you know, whatever. So at some point when they got enough money to have their space in in the valley and they were building their prototypes and there were several of them, they knew it wasn't working. And by that time, she had to hire some engineers and she had some clinical laboratory scientists. And the book makes it clear that they had to clear out because <laughs> they knew it wasn't working. And, you know, if you have already worked in a hospital lab or whatever, you have some sense of decency. Like, you know, I can't put out results like this. They're wrong. People are going to die. Like, I can't do this for a living. So it did produce some results. They were just wrong. So they it actually worked. It just wrong. was wrong. Okay. So the, the main thing that I can tell you and I can make it very easy to understand is that the tubing that is required to get the, get the sample, so your, your little finger stick, to wherever it has to be analyzed inside of this little tiny machine, um, there's not enough blood to get it to all of the wells. There's just not. And the minute she said she was going to do so many different tests, I knew it was impossible. She just didn't have enough sample. And it turns out that while they were doing the testing for this little platform, they were using a regular blood stick. So they were drawing from people's arms mm-hmm. and, because that's the only way they could get enough blood. When they tried to do the finger stick, they would have to dilute it so much that it didn't. the results didn't make sense. So I think... Because, I mean, I've, I've worked in a lab bo- before. So what you're saying is that in order to perform some of these tests, you need a certain volume of fluid for, mm-hmm. the, for the machine to work properly. Mm-hmm. And she's using that same technology, but she's saying she can do it with less volume. She claims she had a brand new technology that she could do with less volume. But physically... How are you going to get the sample into the wells where it's analyzed? You still need the tubing. You still need a certain volume. It's imp- that that was I mean that's what stuck out to me immediately. I've worked in a chemistry lab. I've been under one of these chemistry analyzers by the way are almost the size of a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, they're not that big anymore, but they're pretty big. I'm a refrigerator. Like, but you have to get up sometimes, you know, to to get all the the um reagents in and out of it you have to get under it like like you're going under a car yeah and like maybe... you're working under the hood something you know so you have to get under it and there's tubing everywhere that like the tube the the reagents have to come from the bottle into the machine your blood sample has to go from where you put it on into the machine like there's just no way to do this with a tiny amount with little tiny tube. like you just can't shrink everything down and maybe it'd be helpful um 
can you describe like how like pick a test that you're most familiar with and can you describe like how it's typically done like today what do we after you draw the blood and you have it in the vial how does the how do you or how does the machine conduct that test well, I guess it depends on on the test. Um, but she was arguing that she could do all the tests. Okay, oh, so okay. if you if you say you go to you have your physical and you have blood drawn, mm-hmm. usually they draw several different tubes. Yeah, it's like four vials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so each one has a different chemical in it or no chemical in it. Anticoagulant sometimes or right. Yeah. So if you're gonna if you're gonna look at okay, are you anemic? That's a hematology test. Mm-hmm. That's EDTA. That's a purple top tube. The blood doesn't clot in those. Yeah. And so you send it off to the analyzer and, you know, it looks to see how many red cells you have, how much hemoglobin you have, you know, are you, do you need iron? All of that stuff comes out of that tube. All right. Mm-hmm. There, say we're looking at um, your glucose or your cholesterol or something. That's a chemistry test. Usually. That's the red um, tube. To, it's a red top or a green top, depending on, you know, the test you're doing. But that's that's a totally different kind of – those are different kinds of tests. They go into a different kind of analyzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at serum rather than all the red cells. We just want to know what's in the fluid. We don't care about the red blood cells. That means you have to spin it down, which means you, you need a certain volume. You have to spin it down. Yes, you have to separate them. You have to wait for it to clot. You have to separate them. So her argument was you could just take one drop of blood – Put it in the analyzer. It's going to give you all those test results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now that you describe it that way, it doesn't make sense because you can't spin down a like a, a portion of a, a a drop of blood. Exactly. You spin down the whole thing, and then you can't do the other tests, or it mm-hmm. starts to clot, and you can't do the other tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was oh, okay. all. It was complete horseshit. Okay. And anybody who worked in the lab knew, yeah, this is never going to work. I mean. I'm not I'm not the smartest person on earth. I'm really not. Mm-hmm. As soon as I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> okay. Never ever is it going to work. And I Yeah, now I that work- I think back and I I I do remember like being in the lab, now it makes more sense because there were like different tests, okay, spin down these vials or put these tiles in put this blood in these vials because that's, you know, has the anticoagulant and won't like clot and then the other ones they they definitely clot and look really gross. So you can't do all of those different things that you have to do to prep it for the test in a single vial. And you can't one do it with drop one drop of blood. Yeah. One drop of blood. Yeah. One drop. Yeah, because was she going to put an anticoagulant on the drop? Or was she going to divide the drop into smaller pieces? One, what was she going to do? You, you, see, you see what I'm saying? Immediately yeah. when I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's never going to work. But my first thought was it, it's never going to make it through the, the tubing. It's mm-hmm. not enough to get through the tubing. And the tubing is what is that just what it sounds like? Is it just little tubes that pull it's the tubes, blood? yeah. So if you ever if you ever go into the laboratory, what mm-hmm. you see is, you know, you'll you'll add the, the sample and it's usually like like a long pointed it looks like a little tiny finger mm-hmm. comes down, sucks up the sample because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen like right there where you're looking at it on the bench, it has to go into the machine. Yeah. So even if it's a small machine, it has to go into the machine. You have to have volume enough to suck it through the tube. Mm, okay. And so my first thought was this this will never work because she doesn't have volume enough to get it into the analyzer, let alone split off one drop into the, the hematology testing, the micro testing, the chemistry testing. 
the the toxicology testing. You can't do it. Mm. And so she was going to do some of this by PCR, um, you know, all of this nonsense. <laughs> so it was it was clear to anybody who had a background in, in clinical laboratories that this would never work. However, her story was this is brand new technology and it's going to work and there's no way, you know, and it's all it's going to be so much cheaper at which point that's when the government starts listening. Because now they don't want to pay for Medicare and Medicaid. They're always looking for a way to cut what they pay for for clinical laboratory tests. For some reason, they think all of it is too expensive. And they're thinking about Congress, right? We're not talking about the leadership at CDC or uh, HHS, right? Well, we're talking about centers for Medicare and Medicaid. They're they're the biggest payer for health care. Mm-hmm. The biggest one. So all our seniors have Medicaid, have Medicare. And then if you're in poverty, you have Medicaid. Right. And so one of the things I do every year is I go to the meeting and we talk about how much you should be reimbursed if you do this test for your patients in your hospital. Okay. Um, so this is a big thing. This is a big part of what they do. I mean, they, they do it for what nursing care should be paid. Anything that has to be paid. So I don't go to the nursing care thing because I have no expertise in that. But we do know about how much it takes to run a test and how much you should get paid for it. Now, had any hospital or institution purchased one of these machines? No, because they couldn't. So how was the company at one point valued at $10 billion? They hadn't sold anything yet. They hadn't sold anything, but they had made a deal to put one of these in all the Walgreens in Arizona. This is going to be their test market. Okay. Um, at which point, you know, now everybody's paying attention because if you can do all these tests with a single drop of blood and it's cheaper, why are we paying people in laboratories to do it? So along comes this idea that we're going to, I think it's called the Protecting Access to Medicare Act. Okay. We're going to cut all the costs for, for these laboratory tests because, you know, in five years, all of these little tiny test uh, systems will be in everybody's Walgreens and there, you know, there will be no reason to even have a clinical lab. It costs too much. And, you know, this is great. We're just going to cut costs. It's, it's going to save us so much money. And CMS was like, yay, we don't have to pay so much money. This is wonderful. But no one's but, seen one of these yet. Thank you. So then the Domus, I think it was 2015, maybe. Yeah, 2015, summer of 2015. Um, That's when the expose came out. Well, no, no. That's when they started getting FDA clearance. So each clinical laboratory test, whether I'm looking at heart enzymes to figure out if you've had a heart attack or if we're looking at a system that allows us to identify whatever bacteria is causing, you know, your fever. Um, If we're looking to see if you have sickle cell or not, each one of those tests has to be approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Right. Okay, so the FDA approves the test. Um, HHS approves the personnel who work on the test. So for me to work in a clinical laboratory, I had to pass a registry examination that proves that I know what I'm doing. I can't keep a job if I don't pass the registry. Yeah, it's so like, a, it's like, a, it's like the bar. Hospital. It's like the bar for mm-hmm. an attorney. 
it's it's like the bar for for an attorney exactly it's like the boards for for um, any medical specialty you i think um nurses um to be registered you have to pass a test too. like all of them you have to pass something yeah okay so um that's that's um uh cdc cms that part and then the fda does the test part so they were playing with both sides they managed to get this they got two tests so mind you this this company is in existence since 2003 or something like that right they finally get two tests that are that are um fda approved in 2015 which I suppose is not that long. It's a little bit longer than, you know, the big companies. But, you know, she was a small startup or whatever. Um, but what they're finding out, and so this is this is when the, the um, uh, Wall Street Journal starts their expose. They only have a couple of these two tests. They've been running other tests, you know, not as, I guess you'd call it research only. So they're trying to, they look at the, the, test results that they got on some standard um, testing system and compare it to theirs. Never, ever passes. So they start getting in trouble because there, there's a there's a concept, I'm sure they have it in other in, industry, but in the clinical laboratory, we have something called quality control. Right. So you have to prove that the results that you're getting correspond to what you're supposed to be getting yeah so they usually uh for tests like that like when they're testing a machine or calibrating a machine they have control samples right exactly mm-hmm. and, but you have to pass this every day depending on your lab sometimes every shift right so i think basically there's um the con- i don't know where the control samples come from but you at the start of the shift or the start of the day, you run the machine with the control samples and you already know what the results are supposed to be. And you just compare with the results and go, yep, machine's still working. Right. And she clearly did not have too many clinical people there because they weren't running QC. At all? No. <laughs> okay. And then, so, the, so then when they figured out that they had to do that, they finally got, you know, a med tech working for them. They're like, uh, this doesn't work. And then they were working with some physician or other, and he kept saying, you know, these samples, I've run the same sample the regular way, and your results don't match. Mm -hmm. That's how you know your machine is totally bad. (laughs) Now, what I'm curious about, maybe no one knows, I'm not sure if you know, was it close like was it actually doing something but it just wasn't doing it to the degree of accuracy that was needed it was completely inaccurate oh so it was garbage it was garbage oh, okay it was total garbage and you know so i'm looking at a at a at an article from 2015 and she's talking about how they have a test for wait, what is this for even? Um, herpes simplex? Okay. Is it herpes simplex? I can't. T- I, I can't tell. Anyway, she um, don't know probably. 
What'd you say? She probably don't know. Yeah, she probably doesn't know either. But um, it's the test costs nine dollars. It costs more than that in a clinical lab, and she has a hundred and fifty-three tests that they make available for less than ten dollars a piece. So this is what our government sees and goes, "Why are we paying those those laboratories so much? What you know?" Some of some of our tests are like forty five dollars, depending on what it is. No, we should be able to get everything for ten dollars. So meanwhile, you know, so she's stirring up this environment where everybody thinks, well, we could get it cheaper. We could just get it cheaper. That okay. Can't get it cheaper all the time. But again, this is all presumed sight unseen, and that's what I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. Well, like so someone then... skipped into town and said, like like the music man, like. <laughs> Like fucking trouble in you know in Central City, in River City, in River City. Just they could just just skip at the town. And just like I could do all that for five dollars. And it's like, well, how is it? Does it work? Can you show me? No one asked these questions. They just said, oh, I saw an article and we can do it for this now. So cut all the money. Well, I can't imagine that that's exactly how it happened. But I think you know when you have people who are so well connected and they're playing golf with each other and they're having drinks at the club or whatever and they start talking about these things. Now you got people who are going, hey, well, I hear that, you know, that Elizabeth girl is going to revolutionize this, you know, so we, we might as well start getting ourselves ready so that we don't, we can cut costs. Oh, uh, you know what? I just figured it out. Hmm. They they're, they all think that they're the smartest person in the room because they're the ones who's going to figure it out first. So basically, yeah. So basically they, like you said, they have a golfing outing and some guy says, Oh, my daughter or my, you know, my best friends, my, uh, my fraternity brother's daughter, he, you know, she's figured it out how to do it for $5 and it's like, it's going to be the new technology. And he was just like, Oh, I'm going to be the first one to put my name on a bill and saves the the government this much money because I know that this is coming down the pike. It's like insider trading. Yeah. Maybe that's it. You it was know, like, like, like I said, ego, I don't know any of these yeah. kind of people. Yeah, it's like ego insider trading. I, I, I yeah. get uh, now. I get how it happens. I don't need to know the details. I just need to be the first one out the gate with it, so yeah, I can put my so. name on it and own it. Maybe so. Now it makes sense. So what you know? Obviously, once they got the two tests and they got the, they signed to go into Walgreens in Arizona. Um, then the FDA decided okay, we need to go see what these people are doing. And that's where the shoes started dropping because they went in there and they basically told her, none of this is working. Your QC isn't working. There's another thing. It's called proficiency testing mm -hmm. um, where they send an unknown and you're supposed to figure out what it is. And you better okay. get it right. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it's like a control, except they have the numbers and you don't. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They were failing that. Yeah. And so at some point they went in and said, you are not to ever send any samples to any patients at any time. That's it. So that's, uh, yeah, lock the doors, turn off the lights, uh, roll that shit up. It, it's a wrap. Uh, no, actually, she got more money after that. Nigga, what? <laughs> she, yes. No, that's when <laughs> that's when the entire board gets up and dusts their shoulders off and says, well, that was an adventure. <laughs> On to the next venture. Really? Yeah, no, they, they really did. They got more money after that. So she's a really good salesman. I mean, she could sell anything. Then go that's, sell that's, some decent shit that worked. 
Um, yeah, well, apparently they just decided why, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, so they, they had terrible, like, it was just a terrible system. And, but they didn't get her for that. They got her for fraud. Like, <laughs> so they're saying, are they claiming, fraud. That, she, are they claiming the, that she knew? Is that what they're claiming? Yeah, they knew they were lying. And, and if you, um, if you read the book, you can tell they knew they were lying. They just, they knew they were just trying. I think she really, really thought if she believed it hard enough, she could make it work. Wow. I really think, you know, we, we have this whole generation of people who got, you know, the trope success. You've heard all of these. I know you have. Yeah, but I think there might be another thing that's, like you said, she's a salesman. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that they tell you, tell salesmen is don't take no for an answer. And it, in a lot of, you know, avenues, it can lead to a lot of success because if you just like keep plugging away and, you know, perseverance pays off in some avenues, but... When you're talking about clinical testing where the numbers are the numbers, sometimes, you know, no is just a no. And, you know, it's not only that, it's just she really had people's lives in her hand. And money. that's That's the part that you can't ever let go of. I, both of my parents have, you know, long lasting health issues at this point, you know, they're both over 70. And um, the last thing I want to happen is you get a test and it tells them that their glucose level is 95 when it's really 300. Yeah. Or your cholesterol is within normal range when it's really not. Mm -hmm. Or worse, we have a test that proves that you have breast cancer, you need to have a surgery, and it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I said, if it's if it's a bad computer game, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But when when we're talking about someone's health, no shit, it's the wrong treatment. You can't, you just can't have that. The weird thing is, in our current culture and environment, I think people would care more about the video game. Um, you may be right, because not everybody understands clinical laboratories, but. And you also, know, I think if and you the tell... way I think it's also the way our system works. A lot of that money isn't our money, or doesn't feel like our money. Like when I walk in a hospital and I'm getting a, a a physical, or I'm getting some blood drawn, it doesn't always feel like my money. You know, I put my insurance card down, and then it just kind of happens, and I pay like you know a hundred bucks two months later. As opposed to a, a product I pick up off the shelf and put money on. People are weird that way. You know, you may be right about that. Um, you're the one who understands psychology better than I do. But you're, you're, probably, you're probably right about that. It's not obvious, but I think you have to make it obvious. Yes. You know, for me, it is always, it's not even my health. It's always my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always somebody I love. Um, what if they got the wrong results? And she clearly was, wasn't thinking about that at all. Well, I think I can't, I can't tell you what she was thinking about. Mm -hmm. What I can say is she refused to listen 
to any of the the criticism that they had for how the machine was made, how much blood was going to be needed. Um, you know, she had it in her mind what this should look like, no matter what, come hell or high water. Now, what she could have done, and, and they spent a lot of time, like apparently the first, the first um, two tests that they got approved, they weren't using their technology. They were using regular technology. What they did was they bought the other company's regular-sized platforms for running tests, and they were using those to run their tests to send in when um, they were working with the FDA about getting their, their test approved. So they were so basically testing about that. Yeah, they were testing on regular machines, basically. Uh huh. Okay. And lying about it. Yeah, I got nothing for them then. That's so, trash. You know, and she, she was the CEO. Just to let everyone know, she was the CEO the almost the entire time of the company's mm-hmm. existence for like maybe the last two years with someone else. But that entire time during all this controversy, during all these trash results, she was the CEO. Well, she was running it even when she wasn't running it. What happened was um, people started to notice and. So the uh, it's called the Kuyak Committee. Um, they basically look at um, they look at the personnel, and she didn't have enough like med tech people in there. She didn't have the right kind of laboratory director. Like there's there are rules for who can oversee a clinical laboratory, which is basically what they were running while they were trying to get their stuff up and going. Even I am not qualified to be a clinical laboratory director. Hmm. So it is, it, it's quite something. You have to pass a certain kind of exam, which is much harder than the one I passed. You have to spend a certain number of years in a postdoctoral position in a clinical laboratory. Mm-hmm. Like, it's no joke. Almost all the people I work with are these people. It's okay. no joke. <laughs> okay. So they didn't have any of those people in there because anybody like that would have been able to tell her that this is not going to work. On the day first one. work, the first week they worked there, we're like, yeah, it's not going to work. And then once it's once they write a memo to her, it's a wrap because now there's documented evidence that well, she was what aware. What happened? What happened was everybody who some of these people weren't even clinical laboratory scientists; they were just people who had a science background. And they were going, yeah, this is not going to work. They would get escorted out. They would have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And if they said anything, they sent the Barracuda lawyers after them. Wow. Oh, she played hardball. I don't know if it was her or the second in command. um, Who was her boyfriend? They were were not kidding. Mm. They were sending people to follow them, like private investigators. They were screwing up their people's lives, calling and and uh, getting them fired from new jobs. Oh, so she was complicit. Oh hell yeah! Mm-hmm. So this wasn't some you know doe-eyed you know new CEO who's just trying to make it work. She was definitely well, playing hardball. But the thing is, you know, she it, this worked for her. She's pretty and blonde, mm-hmm. and she's even getting. She she got less charged with less than the president. The uh, I think I think Sunny with a name like Balwani maybe Iranian. Oh, I was thinking Indian, but yeah, maybe. Uh, but anyway, so I think he got hit with more charges than she did. Oh wow! They really went soft on her. You know, she, 
again, she has powerful friends and she's a pretty little white girl and it couldn't have been what you thought. And <laughs> Yeah, his name's Ramesh Balwani and he was uh, he's born in Mumbai. Yeah. Mm. So an Indian guy. And yeah, I imagine that he just was the better face to take all that. Yeah. Brown guy, you know. Yeah, I'd like to say that all of this wasn't just the result of uh, white privilege, but a, a small part of me just wants to say, just put this all under that banner. This, this is just white privilege at work. Yeah, I'm, and it it went slow enough that you could see it coming. So first, the the FDA said uh, this place is not what you said it was, and. <laughs> This is not good. And then they decided that you really shouldn't be running a clinical lab. So they took her off of that for like three years. That was the beginning of the end. Mm. But it was too late. You know, the, the the bills had passed, lowering the reimbursement for what other laboratories get for testing. And, you know, <laughs> she screwed everybody. And uh, just a little, uh, little bit of trivia for you guys. One of the people who sat on her board... Jim Mattis. Mad Dog. Yep. The current Secretary of Defense was on this board. As was, is, like you said, Henry Kissinger. This is what Kissinger. Rich privilege looks like. Yeah. Henry Kissinger, Bill Frist, former U.S. Senator, Sam Nunn, former U.S. Senator. Yeah. And Bill Frist was a doctor, I believe. Yes. He was. And also, yeah. he was a heart transplant surgeon. Yeah. Dis nigga. And also, Riley Bechtel, chairman and board of the former CEO of the Bechtel Group. Which is not a Mickey Mouse operation. Uh-huh. So these aren't dumb people. They're just greedy people, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know how you. no one does a quick check, just an ask around. Just like, hey, dude, I know you work in clinical labs. I know these people must know someone who works in a lab. But you know what? I bet they don't. That's the one thing about healthcare that no one knows. Is the lab. Everybody knows a nurse. Everybody knows a doctor. Most people know a physical therapist. They only know somebody who comes and gets the blood, the vampire. They don't understand that there's a science to it, that once it goes in there, there's somebody who's well-trained, with a degree, who's passed a, a, an exam that proves that they know what they're doing the same way as any other member of the healthcare team. Most people do not know anybody who works in a clinical lab has ever worked in a clinical lab. Hmm. But that's, that's weird. Do you know of any other industry that is like that? I know everyone knows a mechanic. Everyone knows, everyone probably knows someone who works in the pharma pharmacology or something. Well, people, you, you do know what a pharmacist looks like, but you know, as a rule, most clinical laboratory science scientists do not have contact with the patient. The phlebotomist does. Right. But all they do is put it in bottles. Yeah. But that, I think, it. you know, like, I'm not kidding you. After college, I was working in a hospital in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'm sitting at the dinner table with my father. I've been working there for five or six months. Mm-hmm. He looks over at me and he goes, so you go get the blood, right? Hmm. He paid for college and didn't understand what I was doing. Mm. I was a med tech living in his house and he didn't understand what I was doing. I hate to tell you, most most parents don't understand what their kids be doing. <laughs> but I mean, that's like if I said I was an accountant, he would understand that. He literally looked at me like, so you go get the blood, right? Yeah, and but- I was so irritated. I'm like, yeah, dad, I get the blood. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what's interesting? I mean... There's a lot of careers and jobs where people don't 
get it because it, it doesn't have just a simple name that everyone's familiar with, like accountant or doctor mm-hmm. or physician no, I get it. or mechanic. I, I get it completely, but unfortunately, in a situation like this, it really worked against the laboratory. And yeah. then if you ever if you ever pay attention to like popular culture on TV or whatever, and this is especially for stuff like uh, like soap operas and stuff. No matter what goes on, it was always a problem in the lab. Wait, really? Always. I mean, I never watched soap operas. So they they always have these ridiculous things like, you know, this one is not really the father of that one and whatever. It's always there's a problem in the lab. Oh, okay. And if you, you know, even if you watch, like, decent stuff in the evening, there's always somebody in the lab who's, like, a psychopath. Just the lab has a really bad reputation. That's all I have to say. I think it's probably easy to paste a lot of things under that banner because no one knows what they do like you just said exactly that's exactly it. it's a grab bag you know it's the and then when you do see shows where they have a laboratory like you know csi if you have ever been in a laboratory you can't watch that show (laughs) I, i hate csi i'm not gonna lie I tried watching it when it first came out and i'm like this is horseshit and i just dismissed it from then on even when they added like six other cities, I, I I hate this show. Why is the lab technician rating this? What what the fuck is happening? Exactly, exactly. And so you you have a bad reputation, and you worked in what the front part of the lab, right? You got the samples. No, you both. Gave them their numbers. No, both. I worked in the back too, uh, in serology and uh, cytology. How are you working in serology? I wasn't, uh, I was just loading the machine, cleaning the vials. Like, you know, I was support. I wasn't actually running the test myself. I would put them in the, I would, you know, spin down the samples. Yeah. And then, you know, labeling things and packaging them. Yes. So I did like all those things. Mm -hmm. But some of that requires you to be in the back part. So I observed them as they're doing all these things. And I would, that would be the one to be like, oh, go get me the, you know, the, the test samples or whatever. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that was my job. It was an internship. So mm-hmm. you, you get, even just doing that, you get to see all these things firsthand and then certain things make sense or don't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a reason why I can't really watch that show. Yeah. Then I spent some time as as an advisor on a on a forensics lab board and then it really I couldn't watch it. <laughs> like really I couldn't watch it after that. I'm surprised they haven't hired someone as a consultant for the show. I'm sure they have. Like, they did maybe the first year. I don't know about but that. But n- why? Once once you get the ball rolling. I guess so. But even things like Law & Order, they had, like, someone who's an actual lawyer, like, look at the shit and go, that would never happen. That can't possibly happen because of the Constitution and shit. <laughs> so, I don't know. Authenticity is also dramatic. I don't think you need to just pull shit out of your ass all the time for it to be entertaining. But eh. well, you know, but ask the writers and the producers and the directors. I don't know. I don't know anything about that stuff. But uh, let what's the name of the the book again and the author in case people are actually interested and want to check it out. It's called Bad Blood: Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carreyrou. Cool, cool. So yeah, Bad Blood. Just put Bad Blood in. So if you want a scary book about how white privilege is going to murder us all, um, pick up that book. 
put it on your, it really your nightstand. It's worth it to watch, to, to read through it, to see how, like, the tentacles go everywhere. And this is how you get bad science. This is how you get bad policy. Sounds like a nightmare. Sounds like the current nightmare we're living through. Okay. Well, it's time for it's time for our closing uh, section. And as we have been doing all year, 2018, we've existed on this planet long enough as far as the animal kingdom is concerned, and they want us gone. <laughs> so, what would you call this? It's not catch these claws. I would catch this one either catch these trunks or catch these tusks. I think catch these tusks has a better ring to it. It, okay. it does, but I don't know if Indian elephant tusks. I think that's African elephants, right? Indian elephants don't have tusks? I don't think so. Really? Now that's news. Things. I didn't know that. Oh, they, you know what? They have tinier ones. The, the African okay. elephants have the big ass, you know, huge ones. And it's like they got little, little ones. Okay. But yeah, um, so so maybe catch these trunks. Yeah, yeah, catch these trunks. Uh, Twenty eighteen. Um, I saw this article in the the Telegraph. Elephants destroy houses, crops, and jar can. Now I think we covered something similar. There was another story about the same uh, area in India, where basically the local people in the rural areas of India are fighting with elephants for territory. <laughs> And, you know, for decades, the elephants were just like, oh, shit, here come the humans. And they would just move on. And now the elephants have made a stand and they're like, fuck y'all. And, and basically are just rampaging these villagers and destroying towns and then just marching off like they don't give a shit. So wild elephants. This is terrible, but it's funny. It's funny as fuck because they just like, I'm sick of your shit. I'm not moving again. <laughs> I swear to God. Fuck you, gentrifiers. <laughs> Raise the goddamn rent. Mow the grass down. Trying to raise my kids. <laughs> Wild elephants from Jarkan, Simlipal Tiger Reserve, and Kudia Sanctuary have sneaked into forested areas of the district, sparking off man-elephant conflicts. The jumbos have killed an elderly woman and ravaged croplands across about 250 acres in four side villages of Champua Forest Range since past one week. A herd of 32 elephants has strayed into forest areas lying on the periphery of, I'm not even going to try to say that town's name, villages. Uh, and, no, some villages in India. Yes, various villages in India. And they're giving sleepless nights to villagers and forest personnel as they sneak into crop fields after sunset, causing irreparable damage and standing ready to harvest paddy plants. So they're basically stomping into these crops under cover of darkness probably with a balaclava on stomping on these Not niggas, with a balaclava. <laughs> stomping on these niggas crops and then sneak it off now how the fuck 32 elephants sneak into your croplands i need someone to explain that to me yeah because i i would think you would hear them coming then <laughs> nigga you would hear three how the fuck 32 <laughs> roll through and you not know. Yeah, so our principal focus is to prevent human death due to animals attack. Round-the-clock vigil is being maintained to minimize the elephant-induced damage to life and property. So they have to get elephant guards at night. We have warned the villagers not to venture into elephant-infested forest areas to stay on alert on possible intrusion of animals and possibly, possibly disseminate it to the forest personnel. I just love the idea of a squad of elephants just stomping in through. They, they actually wait for nighttime. This is a 
gang. Yeah, elephants aren't nocturnal. <laughs> I know. This is a gang. They literally wait till after sunset. Like, let's get these niggas. And they stomp and into their crops. They. This is a gang. <laughs> oh my god. And they killed Seriously. an old lady. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. That's. And you know, Indian. I mean, um, elephants never forget, right? Clearly. So Clearly. They're gonna come back. Someone might have like pushed over or knocked down one of their favorite trees, and they're like, "This will not stand, and we will not forget." This is four generations on. They're like, "No, we still haven't forgotten." The elephants have made our life miserable. As threat of elephants so. staying straying into village always lurks, we are living in constant fear. Can you imagine? Like, we are so privileged here. Can you imagine living in constant fear of an elephant killing you? What mm. the fuck is life? <laughs> Can you imagine me sitting in my apartment like, oh shit, is that an elephant? <laughs> Wait, but... And if you manage to get one, he's got 31 friends... Oh yeah. We're coming back for your ass. If you are a crack shot assassin and you manage to take down an elephant, nigga, you got enough bullets for all 30 of these motherfuckers? No one has that many bullets. Your arms are too short to box with this situation. Y'all need to move. This is a wrap. Oh, this is the elephant's house now. And I think the elephants realize that. You're like, you know what? These niggas is tiny. What the fuck is we running for? Fuck this peace. I, I just I just love the gangster and these elephants. Like they just kind of just something clicked and they realized like what the wait a are minute elephants, are elephant groups even usually this large? I I have seen documentaries where you know elephants stay in families like extended families and they just kind of you know march around the place you know eating and uh, moseying about. They, yeah, but thirty two. I always got the impression that they were like twelve, thirteen. You know, I'm not clear on that. I'm not a zoologist, so I don't know for sure. But I have seen like large groups of elephants, and they show them like you know, not migrating, but just kind of marching along, getting water. They have territories. I don't know how big they're supposed to get, but I don't think these are whole families. I think, like you said, this is a gang of thirty-two that just decide that they're gonna do do you know do dirt shit. Okay, so I, I just looked this up on the independent. Elephant families have a matriarchal head, meaning an older, experienced lady elephant. Uh The family usually consists of a mother, her sisters, and their babies. Occasionally, non-related elephants join to form families. A female family unit ranges from 3 to 25. This is a gang. Yeah. Because I thought, like, it was sort of under a dozen. This is a gang. (laughs) Yeah. Skilled force personnel of elephant squads have stepped up vigil and are on the job to drive away the elephants back to their original habitat. They have to get elephant squads. The elephants are literally playing hide and seek. Think of how. (laughs) How, Sway? How? This is a gang. There's just no other way to put it. And they want you out of their neighborhood. How the fuck you got ninjutsu (laughs) elephants? How do you hide yourself if you're? What do you hide behind? <laughs> they hide in the forest, I guess. No, but okay. Li- listen, I'm chase. If I am chasing an elephant, I don't know why the fuck I'd be chasing an elephant. But if I were chasing an elephant, and that nigga ran in the forest and disappeared. Oh no, nah, I'm I'm done. Y'all got this. See, as y'all soon got as ghost they- elephants. <laughs> fuck that. Yeah, as soon as they kill the old lady, I would be packing. That's a find message. Another job in the city, but. <laughs> 
that's a message. This is a rap. Yeah. I when they start when these niggas start disappearing and running night raids, uh-uh. No. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good. We got to find a new village. Pack up yeah. pack up the hut, mom. We 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 yeah. moving out. It's time to move. That's it. Start packing your shit. We're moving. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> they literally just like we are tired of your shit. <laughs> get get the fuck up and go. And they know how smart they are. I mean, that's the thing. Elephants and, aren't dumb. And so. these are fucking gorilla tactics. Yes, they are. So can you imagine what the gorillas are doing now? Nigga. They're probably programming computers right now. Oh, my God. There is a gorilla city somewhere. And the only reason they haven't, like, overwhelmed us is because the Flash is thwarting them at every turn. But there's a fucking gorilla city mm-hmm. where Gorilla Grodd is just <laughs> just waiting for its opportunity to fuck all y'all up. Yeah, because the tigers are smart as the as the primates now, so the primates are getting smarter than us. This yeah. is ridiculous. Well, the tigers don't play well with others, so that's why we you know we'll always beat them. It's always a one off battle. You ain't ever gonna have no swarming, roving bands of tigers. Thank God. No, but that'd be a nightmare. Yeah, it could. Oh my God, it could. If it's lions, though, we're fucked. Now lions, I don't know. <laughs> we're fucked because <laughs> lions. Ultimately, though, I feel like lions are lazy. I feel no, like male lions are lazy. Oh. But that's not who you have to worry about. It's oh. the lionesses. Oh. No, but I feel like even lions, it's like if they're well fed, they're like, I'm done. Because they're cats. You know? Eh. <laughs> it's like we ate. I'm we're good. But if they're hungry, that's your ass. Well, yes, if they're hungry or, you know, curious. Ugh, God forbid. Well, cats are curious. Yeah, so if they're hungry or curious, you're fucked. But if they just ate, they're like, whatever. Just just leave some space for me. Just move over. That's that's kind of the lion's perspective. The elephants are like, no, the line must be drawn. <laughs> you will go no farther. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is this is bad. I just listened to um, Jungle Book on uh, Audible recently. Read by Idris Elba. Think... Hmm. Read by Idris Elba. No. Oh. Best year con. Blue is a sloth bear, by the way. Um, anyway, no, best no, year con such... ever. Huh? Idris Elba. He's the best year con ever. <sighs> Listen, when he had those cubs and he dropped that paw, <laughs> uh, that was a that moment. was a good movie. Except for you know, Blue is a sloth bear, but um, they they have such a reverence for the elephants, and I feel like elephants are now thugs and. We've driven the, them to that. Okay, we will they not. They were majestic. Use... El- they were majestic animals, and but now they're they're so mad at humans. Oh, you just gonna call them to thugs? Gang. You just gonna call them thugs? Just call them niggas. Just call <laughs> them niggas. No, they are seriously thugs now. They're like, get out of our neighborhood, and we're done. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, on that note, watch your back for the elephants. Mm-hmm. We just luckily we, ha- we happen to pick the continent that don't got no elephants, but um, I don't know if you and if you in West Africa, I mean East Africa, I don't, I don't know. They might be coming for y'all next. I don't know. They might be. India is the test is the testing ground. If it worked there, I don't know. And you know they're telling each other. I'm sure elephants have some primitive, advanced way of communicating with each other across the continents. I don't know. I don't even think it's primitive. They're using the birds. Really? They just talk, they just talking to the birds. They're telling the birds, and then you know the birds migrate. They're talking to the birds, and they're just like it's time. 
They just pass simple messages like that. It's like, oh, really? They're, they're using ravens, you know? Game of Thrones is a documentary. Yeah, they're like squat up. We're getting sick of this. Ugh. I just can't imagine. Like I said, I just can't imagine sitting here eating my Fruit Loops and then have to be like, wait, do you hear that? Was that an elephant? What <laughs> the fuck? Oh, my God. Life in the city. I'm all for it. Count, count your blessings, y'all. But yeah, uh, tell the people where they can find you. You can always find me at Koki Talks Trash on Twitter. If you want to follow for science, which I do post every now and then, I'm at Koki Negra. And you can follow me uh, at P Funkin' Around on Twitter. And you can follow the, the show at, at You Know Molecules, capital U, K N O W Molecules. Uh, that's another week for us. Uh, thank y'all for joining. Bye.